That, this is not... You still here, Gary? Yeah. <laughs> Some people just like this spotlight up here. I don't know. He's serving at the tent in Shiloh. This is not the temple yet. This is a place where up until the time of David, the, the, the Ark of the Covenant would stay with a few little deviations in a, in a tent where people came to worship. Now, it's interesting to note that because you're going to see something in the text where it actually says the temple. There's a reason for that. But this is a, a key part of this transition time between judges into the leadership of Samuel. And we're going to start by looking at the text, 1 Samuel chapter 3. We'll read verses uh, 1 to 21. The boy Samuel ministered before the Lord under Eli. In those days, the word of the Lord was rare. There were not many visions. And one night, Eli, whose eyes were becoming so weak that he could barely see, was lying down in his usual place. The lamp of God had not yet gone out, and Samuel was lying down in the temple of the Lord where the ark of God was. Then the Lord called Samuel, and Samuel answered, Here I am. And he ran to Eli and said, Here I am, you called me. Eli said, I did not call, go back and lie down. So he went and he lay down. And again the Lord called Samuel. And Samuel got up and went to Eli and said, Here I am, you called me. My son, Eli said, I did not call, go back and lie down. Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord. The word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. And the Lord called to Samuel the third time. And Samuel got up and went to Eli and said, Here I am, you called me. And then Eli realized that the Lord was calling the boy. So he told Samuel, go and lie down. And if he calls you, say, speak, Lord, for your servant's listening. So Samuel went and lay down in his place. And the Lord came and stood there, calling as at the other time, Samuel, Samuel. And then Samuel said, speak, for your servant is listening. And the Lord said to Samuel, see, I'm about to do something in Israel that would make the ears of everyone who hears it tingle. At that time, I will carry out against Eli everything I spoke against his family from beginning to end. For I told him that I would judge his family forever because of the sin he knew about. His sons made themselves contemptible and he failed to restrain them. Therefore, I swore to the house of Eli, the guilt of Eli's house will never be atoned for by sacrifice or offering. And Samuel lay down until morning and then opened the doors of the house of the Lord. He was afraid to tell Eli the vision, but Eli called him and said, Samuel, my son. And Samuel answered, here I am. What was it he said to you, Eli? asked, do not hide it from me. May God deal with you, be it ever so severely, if you hide from me anything he told you. So Samuel told him everything, hiding nothing from him. And then Eli said, he is the Lord. Let him do what is good in his eyes. And the Lord was with Samuel as he grew up and let none of his words fall to the ground. And all Israel from Dan to Beersheba recognized that Samuel was attested as a prophet of the Lord. And the Lord continued to appear at Shiloh and there he revealed himself to Samuel through his word. Now, you may have noticed after 20 years of me being here, I, I like to start with the story. I like to go back and let's, let's just work our way through what is actually happening here. What is going on in this story? Maybe you, if you grew up in Sunday school, I'm sure you heard this story because this is a Sunday school, like this is like top 40 for Sunday school teachers, right? The story of the kid hearing the voice of God, it's tailor-made for Sunday school. If you didn't grow up in Sunday school, maybe this is the first time you've heard it. But this, this is where we start to focus in on Samuel and you've got to realize that what's going on in this story is a time of transition, for those of you who've been reading along with the lectionary, like Carrie said, have been slugging your way through Judges. How many of you think Judges is just the most... Un the it's the worst. <laughs> it's a hard book to read. 
Because you just think, can they get any worse? And then you go to the next chapter, and they do. And, and at the end of it, you're like, oh, my goodness, I'm so glad I finished. This is a transition from the time of the judges to the leadership of Samuel when God begins to work and do something. And, and, and it's, it's also, you know, it says at the beginning in verse 1, it says, uh, and in those days... The word of the Lord was rare, and there were not many visions. And that, that's, that's kind of code word for the prophet's resume. God's not really speaking to somebody as a prophet. They're not getting visions. It's really rare. It's not happening. But by the end of the chapter, what do you see happening in verse 21? The Lord continued to appear at Shiloh, visions, and there he revealed himself to Samuel through his word. What, what this chapter does is it says God has been quiet and hasn't spoken to a prophet in a long time. It's been very rare. But now, he's going to work through Samuel. It, 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 things are transitioning. It's a shift in the way God's dealing with the people. And it's a shift in leadership from Eli, who's been the priest there, to Samuel, who becomes the prophet. And for Samuel to get there, he has to go through a process of learning. How do Canadians say that? Process or process? How, hmm. I say, okay, he has to go through a... Every time I say it, I think, am I saying that wrong or right? Anyway, he has to go through one of those process, process of learning. And there's this back and forth. And that's where it says Samuel is sleeping at the temple of the Lord. Did you catch that? Some of your versions will translate that. Because the Hebrew word there is actually the word temple, even though it's just a tent. It's not the built temple of later. And I think what the writer is doing here is letting us know Samuel was sleeping literally in the presence of God. He was sleeping by the Ark of the Covenant. And, and where he was was where God was present. And it also says the lamp of God had not yet gone out. Now, a lot of people have read a lot of things into that. One thing we know literally for sure is there was a, 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 a lamp stand there, a candle or a lamp, an oil lamp, that was supposed to burn all the way through the night. Probably the reason that Samuel was sleeping in there was to make sure that the light did not go out. If the oil got low, he would top it up throughout the night so that the candle was always burning. And so one thing it could be saying is it's almost morning. The lamp had not gone out yet. It's getting close to morning. The other thing it could be saying is there's still hope for the people of Israel. The lamp of God has still not gone out because Samuel is right here in the presence of the Lord. It's a, it's a picture, right? It's one of those things that I think in Scripture has, has multiple meanings. He was in God's presence, though, but verse 7 says he didn't yet know the Lord. God had plans for him, but he had some things to learn. And that's why this back and forth, back and forth, call me, did you call me? How many of you, the first time you get a phone call from somebody, you don't recognize their voice, but when they call you 20 or 30 times, the minute they say hello, you know who they are, right? That's a process that you, or a process that you go through of learning who it is. And that's what Samuel literally is going through. I, I was laughing, thinking about our house. Some of you have been to what we call the compound. And we, we thought when we, in our great wisdom that we didn't need doorbells. And then we realized we have about 8,000 different doors. So what, what I've noticed is when the first time people come to the compound, they always go to Esther's door at the front. That's where they go. And, you know, sometimes if they don't know us very well, we'd, you know, a salesman will come there. You talk on the front porch. Once you've been around a while and you know us a bit, you don't go to the front door anymore. You come down the driveway and in the side and you knock on that door at the deck because there's a bit more of a connection. You know how we operate a bit more. 
once you really know us, <laughs> and you really have to do this, you have to come down the side, you have to come to the door, and instead of knocking, you have to open the door and walk in and say, hello, and then somebody will come and find you, right? There's this process of learning and relationship that Samuel has to go through with God. He, he doesn't quite yet know the voice of God because people don't hear it. He doesn't really know what's going on. He's learning, and eventually Eli clues in. And Eli helps him to see what's happening, gives him some direction. He says, go and, and lay down and say, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. And did you notice what Samuel said? Speak, for your servant is listening. Is there a difference there? There's some hesitancy in Samuel to say, Lord, is this really God? But he goes and he lays down, and, and what he gets is good news and bad news. Now, the good news is a bit more implied and under the surface. The good news is God is speaking again. Right? God is, 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 is talking to people and he's communicating again. The bad news is Eli has let his sons just roam free. You look back in chapter 2 and it talks about how they would take the best portion of the sacrifice before it was boiled, as it was supposed to be, and they would roast it because everybody knows roasted is better. They would steal from the sacrifice of God and they would sleep with the women who served at the tent not things that are acceptable by any means. And Eli, even though he had warned them, he had failed to stop what was happening. And, and so Samuel gets this earful from God about what's going to happen to Eli. And it's, it's, not great. it's not a great message. And if you read through 4 and 5, Jake will touch on that a bit in next week. Um, but, but it's a time of devastation for the family of Eli and also for the people of God. They're going to make some really dumb mistakes. So Judges isn't over yet. But, but my point is that, that I want you to see is this is not this message, even though it was good that God's speaking. How many of you ever said, if God would just speak to me in an audible voice, right? We say that. I would, if I just knew, if I could just hear. Well, Samuel hears and it's not really what he bargained for. You can see him the next morning, right? Wishing, wishing he'd let that call go to voicemail, <laughs> right? Because Eli, he's getting up, he opens the doors, and I bet he's as busy as he can be anywhere that Eli is not. And Eli says, Samuel. And Samuel says, here I am. Once again, here I am, Eli. And Eli says, tell me what he said. And Samuel tells him, tells him every single thing. And Eli responds in a profound statement of surrender to God. To me, this is probably the most profound statement in the whole chapter. He is the Lord. Let him do what is good in his eyes. That's a statement of surrender. And not just like, oh, just as I am. It's like the pain is going to come and it's up to God. I'm going to trust that God is good. Now, that's the story. From here, I want to move into looking at the characters and look at what Eli and Samuel teach us. Because these stories from the Old Testament help us to reflect on our own lives and our own experience. If we can learn from Samson's bad example, I hope we did, uh, we can learn from both good and bad that surrounds the actions of Samuel and Eli. The writer's telling us something in these stories as he describes them and, and the Spirit speaking through that to us. If we can slow down long enough to hear. The first thing comes from details that really seem like they have nothing to do with anything. Look at verse 2. One night Eli, whose eyes were becoming so weak that he could barely see, was lying down in his usual place. Now tell me, why in the world do we need to know what Eli's eyeglass prescription is? Why do we need to know that? Why do you tell that in a story? 
I mean, you'll learn in the next chapter that he was, he's overweight as well. But why do we learn these kind of things that really Eli's sight has very little to do, right? I think the writer's giving you this detail. I think he's letting you know that Eli was almost blind to set you up to look for something and to realize that there is a different kind of seeing that goes on in the world. Eli can hardly see, he says, but as the night progresses, he's the first one to see what's actually happening. Takes him a while. He could see what's happening spiritually, and that's the reality of the spiritual life. You know, we throw around that verse, but we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what is unseen. And even today, as Carrie was sharing, thanks, Carrie, for telling us about your own life. There's so many things we see in the world, and, and it overwhelms us when we see these things. But in the spiritual life, there is this different kind of seeing that has to happen. I came across a great quote the other day, um, and, and this is it. This is the slide. Most people, have you got that slide read? Most people do not see things as they are because they see things as they are. Do you get the emphasis there? Oops, is there a quote before that? Nope. Okay, never mind. Don't take that away right now. Go bye bye bye. Go back one spot. Here's, here's, here's a quote. Most people, you won't see it, but anyway, I'm going to give it to you. Most people don't see things as they are because they see things as they are. Okay, you get that? We, we tend to look from the perspective of who we are instead of looking at things as they really are. And a lot of times what we need to do is realize that there is a different kind of seeing. Now, here comes the poem. This is a poem that was written by a guy named Parker Palmer that I ran across that I loved. Poetry is very helpful for me. I'm just going to read it to you kind of stanza by stanza. Um, You can bring that slide back now, Reed. Sorry for throwing you off. Here's how it starts. And I hate to explain a poem, but I'm going to explain it a little bit as we go along. The winter woods beside a solemn river are twice seen. Once as they pierce the bitter air, once as they dance in grace beneath the stream. Do you get what he's saying there? There's, you, you see these trees by the river in winter, and you see them here, but you see them down there in the river too, right? There's, there's one tree, but you see it twice. Next stanza. In air these trees stay rough and raw, branch angular and stark design. In water shimmer constantly. Disconnect as in a dream, shadowy but more alive than what stands stiff and cold before our eyes. They look differently, right? This is really stark, and here there's a glimmer. Sometimes they even disconnect. It's like a different liveliness. And then he goes on. Our eyes at peace are solemn streams, and twice the world itself is seen. Once as it is outside our hearts, hard frozen, now in winter dead. Once as it undulates and shines beneath the silent waters of our minds. When we look at the world, depending on how we see it, we can actually see different things, right? One thing we're looking at, but we can get two different angles on it. And he closes by saying this, when rivers churn or cloud with ice, the world is not seen twice. Yet still is there beneath the blinded surface of the stream, livelier and lovelier than we can comprehend and waiting, always waiting to be seen. And I love that because, you know, when the river freezes over, all you see are these stark trees, but there's still this image underneath that's alive. And and what's happening in that poem is he's realizing that there's this reality that when we look at the world, we often don't see it as it is. It's clouded by ice or or churning, and we can't see the truth as it is. We look at the world all around us, and it looks like it's just falling apart. 
But this story reminds us there is a different kind of seeing. There's a reality underneath all that that is true. And the question in the spiritual life is often not what do you see, but where do you see from? Where do you see from? Do you trust that God is working in this chaos even if you can't see it? We have to learn that things are not always as they seem. And along those same lines, here's another lesson from the story. Flawed people have spiritual discernment. Flawed people have spiritual discernment. It's interesting that the one person who picks up on the fact that God is speaking here is the one person who's failed spiritually. It's the one person who God is bringing judgment against, and he's the one person who actually sees what's going on. We seem to have this underlying presupposition that only when we're good enough can we realize what God is doing. That God only uses and God only speaks through good people. Air quotes, very much intended, right? It's funny that we would feel this way and have this underlying assumption because did you, t- did, did you attend any of those sermons on Samson? Right? Did God use Samson? Yes, he did. God, God will speak through flawed people. I mean, it's also funny we should feel this way that God only speaks through good people or people that have measured up because we know ourselves. How many of you are good enough to have God speak through you? How many are good enough to be used by God? None of us. This shouldn't be a surprise to us that God speaks to flawed people, but it is. We tend to rate people in our life as to whether they can have spiritual impact on us or not. We tend to rate people about how moral they are or as to what they say instead of listening and realizing God can speak through any person he wants. There's been a big kerfuffle in the news lately, and I'm probably skating on thin ice to address it, but there, there were two people at a Dallas Cowboys football game. There's a picture there. Ellen DeGeneres sitting by George W. Bush. Did you see that in the news? It was a big, huge kerfuffle because people were mad at Ellen, who's on one side politically, obviously, and George W. Bush, who's on the other side politically, and there they are sitting beside each other at a professional football game. And she, she spoke about it. And, and she was honest. She said people were upset, and they said, why is a gay Hollywood liberal sitting next to a conservative Republican president? She took a lot of criticism for that. And then she said this, when I say be kind to one another, I don't mean only to people who think the same way you do. I mean be kind to everyone. And when I heard Ellen say that, I thought, that is true. That is, that is something you can take to the bank, that you should be kind to people. Now, I'm not, I'm not going to invite Ellen to come speak to our congregation, right? I'm not going to look to her for moral leadership in our culture. But I got to realize that when she speaks truth, it's truth. I've got to be careful. You know, we, we do that. We do that in our lives. We, we think God only speaks through people that we think he would speak through. Instead of realizing that God can take that person that drives you crazy and actually be communicating something to you. I would be very careful telling God who he can and cannot speak to you through. In fact, that person that irritates you the most, that you may disagree with the most, may be the exact way he's teaching you how to love somebody. He may be teaching you something through that if you'll be willing to open it. Which brings us to that thing about Samuel, this, this process or process of recognizing God. I love how it takes a while for them to figure out what's going on. But you know why I love it? Because it takes me a while. Anybody else feel like it takes me a while to catch on spiritually? 
It takes them a while. They get it all in one night, right? That's pretty good. I feel like there's been years in my life where I've struggled with hearing from God. And what is it like? And is that his voice or not? But, but you know, very often there's this, I've got to pick one, process of learning to hear from God, of, of distinguishing and recognizing who he is. There's been several times over the course of the history of this church when we have talked about issues or made decisions that were very polarizing. Now, all you people are lovely and you love each other and it's all great. But there have been, I don't know, five, six, seven, eight, forty, seventy, I don't know, times when there's been disagreement among our membership. And, and I used to get, it's hard as a pastor because you have people who love God, who, who value the scriptures, who hunger for truth, who are praying, and they say, we need to do this. And then you have people over here who love God, who value the scripture, who are praying, and they say, we need to do this. And I'm like, God, what are you doing? They're both asking you, give them the same answer, please, because it's not very fun for me to try to listen to, the, to, to figure it out. And one time God said to me, not in an audible voice while I was sleeping by the Ark of the Covenant, but he said to me, Jeff, sometimes have you ever considered the fact that I may lead them in different directions just to see how we live with people we disagree with? Just to see if we can treat people differently as, and love them even when we disagree. And I started realizing, wow, you know, God works through these situations of, of, that are complicated and and we don't always figure it out. There is this process to recognizing how God is at work, and it takes time. We have these preconceived ideas about how he should work and what he should do and who he should use, and that's just not the way he does things. Very often we have to pull things apart that we've, that our preconceived ideas and let him work the way he wants to work. We have to unlearn sometimes before we learn. We have to deconstruct before we can construct because we've got these assumptions about how he's going to do things. And there's this process of recognizing God at work. And often, when we, even when we get there, the truth is difficult. Once Samuel realized it was God talking and he heard the message, like I said, I bet he wished he'd let that call go to voicemail because it's a hard message. It's not easy. And sometimes the, the path calls us on, that God calls us on, will be hard and difficult and it will entail loss. And Jesus said in Matthew 16, 25, whoever wants to save his life will lose it. Whoever wants to save his life will lose it. Now, we jump right, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. That's a great verse, but it's not very fun. That losing your life part is not an easy thing to go through, is it? Some of you have been there. It's not always what we want to hear when we hear from God. But how many of you say, and just, how many, you can raise your hand. Let's, we'll be a little Pentecostal, charismatic. I know Pauline's already got them up, right? She's ready to go. Raise your hand if you would like to learn to hear from God. How many of us want to hear from God? We do, right? We don't want to feel disconnected. We want to know what he's saying. And, and so let's, let's look at learning to hear from God. How do we do that? What does the text say to us? You know, the scripture says, like in Jeremiah 33, 3, call to me and I will answer you and tell you great and unsearchable things that you do not know. We want that, that kind of connection. We want to hear. And very few of us will ever maybe hear an audible voice, maybe even fewer will spend the night you know, in the temple and hear God calling and, and you say, speak, Lord. But how can we learn to be more sensitive? Jesus says in John 8, 
he who belongs to God hears what God says. The reason you do not hear is that you do not belong to God. If you guys have made a commitment to Jesus, you belong to God. So the the plan he has for you is for you to hear. So how can we grow in that? There's three things I see in our text. I'll go through them quickly. One, we have to adopt a listening posture. Eli's advice was spot on. Go back, lie down, and wait. When the voice speaks, say, speak, Lord, your servant is listening. The writer in Proverbs is talking about to his son, and he says in Proverbs, my son, pay attention to what I say. Listen closely to my words. Do not let them out of your sight. Keep them within your heart, for they are life to those who find them and health to a person's whole body. See, we have to begin to structure our lives in more of a listening posture. Sometimes we have to stop, lie down, and wait. We talk about this a lot in that second of the four spiritual formation retreats, this slowing down and making space in our life for God to actually speak. Now, I I realize I have had kids and I realize that there are seasons in life that are extremely busy and there's not a lot of space. And if it's a season, don't don't be overwhelmed. The last thing I want you to do is go away from here thinking, oh, I just got to add one more thing into my busy life. I got to make space to slow down and be quiet. If it's a season, it's a season. If three years from now you're still in that season, you might want to think, I'm doing something that's not allowing me to make space. Because part of adopting a listening posture is going back and lying down and waiting and being ready to hear. You know, we all fill our lives with noise and distractions, with screens and activities. We, we distract ourselves because quiet can get really loud. Dietrich Bonhoeffer said, he who can no longer listen to his brother will soon be no longer listening to God either. He will be doing nothing but prattle in the presence of God too. This is the beginning of the death of the spiritual life. Anyone who thinks his time is too valuable to spend keeping quiet will eventually have no time for God and his brother, but only for himself and his own follies. We have to begin to realize that God, in order to hear from him, we have to make some time. We have to slow down. He's not a vending machine that you put your quarters in and you get your spiritual wisdom from. He speaks in his time, in his way. And you know what? You may make space and nothing may happen. That's okay. Your job is not to make God speak to you. Your job is to adopt a listening posture. Second thing about listening to God is that it takes time and others. You know, Samuel needed Eli to give him wisdom to learn how to hear. Samuel did not learn this on his own. And if you want to hear God speak, it's going to take engaging with other people. That's why we have a commitment to relationships here. We think it's important that you have one or two people at least that know you, that you're open with about your spiritual life, that you can talk honestly about what's going on in your life, and they can talk honestly to you, point out things. David In 1 Samuel 23, 16, it says, Saul's son Jonathan went to David at Horish and helped him find strength in God. You need people in your life that can come to you and help you hear from God when it's too busy in your head to listen. God tends to speak to us collectively. In in Acts, there's a passage where they're debating this, this, this issue that's going on with the Jews and Gentiles. And it it says, it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us. And they give them the advice. 
It wasn't one person saying, well, I consulted and this is what you should do. It was a collective listening to God and a speaking of the Holy Spirit. You know, we need people in our lives. We need one or two people that we can be open with and that can help us listen for God. You cannot do it just by yourself. It doesn't happen alone. And finally, probably the most challenging part of hearing from God is this idea of surrender. And by that I mean let God define good. This is the hardest one. You remember the recurring theme in the the book of Judges? And in those days, Israel had no king, it says in Judges 17.6, and everyone did what was right in their own eyes. Right? That's the theme all through Judges. They just did what was right in their own eyes. And then you contrast that with what you see at the end of the chapter we read. Eli said, he is the Lord. Let him do what is good in his eyes. Do you see that? There's a shift there. From people deciding whatever they thought was good to Eli surrendering to what God says is good, even if it's painful and difficult. And that's the challenge of hearing. I don't know, how many of you had a magic eight ball when you were a kid? Did you have these magic eight balls? You ever have one of those? I, I, see, I put Ellen DeGeneres and a magic eight ball on the screen. I'm probably going to get fired this week. But I, I love, I had one of these with my kid and you, you, you know, it's a toy. It's got this thing and you, you ask it a question, you shake it and it gives you a message, right? Like all kinds of different messages on the back. Like it, it'll say, uh, as I see it, yes. Ask again later. It is certain. Outlook not so good. Sign points to yes. Well, I would do stuff like, should I have another cookie? And it would say, hmm, probably not. And I'd be like, oh, no, let's shake it again. And I would keep going. I would keep going until it said, definitely so, right? That's what got me into this great athletic physique that you see today. A, a lot of us listening to God is kind of like the magic eight ball. God, should I do this? And we stick around until we can find some way to make him say yes. But see, a, a big part of, uh, of this adopting a listening posture and, and connecting with people, a big part of that hearing from God is being willing to surrender to letting him define what is good, even if it's not what you want. That's a huge step. It's a difficult one. It's one that takes courage. In Romans 12, Scripture says, Therefore I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. It's your spiritual act of worship. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good, pleasing, and perfect will. The key to hearing, yes, you have to adopt a listening posture. You need to make some space in your life where you slow down long enough to listen if God wants to say anything. And you need to be connected with other people. But ultimately, when you hear God say something, you have to let Him define what is good, even if you don't understand it. You have to surrender to it. And as you learn to hear and surrender, you'll be amazed how much easier it gets for you to listen. See, ultimately, listening is an act of surrender. Ultimately, listening is you sitting there quietly and saying, Speak, Lord, your servant is listening. And then surrendering to where He leads you. Let's pray. God, it's not easy to figure out what's going on very often. Our world is confusing and chaotic. There's so much happening. And yet we see Jesus say that those people who belong to you will hear from you. And so we do want to hear. 
Help us to make space in our lives for that. Help us to, to nurture and develop and take risks to be in relationships with one or two people that would help us to hear from you. And ultimately, God, when you speak, help us to surrender. Help us to realize that surrendering to you, the one who gave yourself on the cross for us, is not a risk at all. It's actually something that's meant for our own good, for our betterment, for our health, and for our healing. Help us this week as we, um, as we go through busy lives. Help us to make space to, to say, speak, Lord, your servant is listening. And God, help us to surrender as your people collectively to what you would be doing here in hope through this church and in our own lives every day of, of, of the week. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. One of my favorite verses in the whole Bible is, is 1 Samuel 3.19. The Lord was with Samuel as he grew up and let none of his words fall to the ground. I think that's a beautiful picture. When Samuel said something, it impacted. It did what it was supposed to. And the reason why is because the Lord was with Samuel the same way he is with you. So I, I just want to challenge you this week. Pick one of those three. Maybe you need to make some space to listen. Maybe you need to find somebody and say, look, I've got this question of God. Would you pray with me about this so that you can listen together? Or maybe you know <laughs> what it is God saying to you and you just need to surrender. One of those three things, just take a step this week in that direction. Good for you. God bless you all. Amen.